0: Many times with the promises of God, we are skeptical because they are too good to be true. And it causes us to doubt. It causes us skepticism. And we'll see here today that Abraham and Sarah were no different. That God gives this crazy outlandish promise, and they respond with skepticism. So if you're here today and you're a skeptic of Christianity, or if you're here today and you are a Christian, but you are struggling in your faith, and you're skeptical about the promises and the love of God, this passage reassures us of His love for us in Christ. So let's read. We're on page 12 in the Red Bible. It's uh, sorry, Genesis chapter... 17. Uh, we're going to read verse 15 through 1815. Okay, so large chunk of Scripture. Genesis 1715 through 1850. And we'll kind of see there's these four different stories in it, but we'll also see the continuity that runs throughout it as well. Genesis 1715. When God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But... I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with them, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks. Of memory, as he sat at, at as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them he ran from the tent door to meet them and bow himself to the earth, and said, O oh Lord, if I have found favour in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourself under the tree, while I bring you a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourself, and after that that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you, s- you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sillas of fine flour and three sillas of... A- Fine flour, excuse me, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Verse 9. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son but Sarah denied it saying I did not laugh for she was afraid. He said no, nope, but you did laugh. Let's pray. God as we come to this text with all our doubts and all our fears and all our skepticisms, pray that you the grace of of Your truth wash over our hearts, that we would be reassured of Your promises to us in Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen. As we look through this passage, it's a long passage, seems a little bit disjointed, but there is some continuity through it. We see, we see a pattern that comes about. A pattern of promise, skepticism,
1: reassurance,
0: and faith. This is a pattern that we see in Abraham's encounter with the Lord, in Sarah's encounter with the Lord, and even with our encounter with the Lord. The Lord gives a promise to Abraham. Abraham. And Sarah are skeptical. The Lord reassures His promise. And Abraham and Sarah respond by faith. And so let's take a moment to look through that pattern light out here in this passage. First, let's look at Abraham's encounter with the Lord. We see God's promise to Abraham. Verse 15. Read along with me if you would. Said says, God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife... You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Now, prior to this passage... God made a promise to Abraham that he would have many descendants. And the problem was that Abraham was married to Sarah. And Sarah was barren. And they had been trying to have kids for decades upon decades upon decades upon decades. And nothing had happened. But God comes and says, I will give you a child. And the assumption is that Sarah will bear that child because Sarah is Abraham's wife. Well, they decide to go other means and she brings her servant girl, Hagar, gives her to Abraham. She produces a child named Ishmael. But the Lord comes back to him and says, no, I will give Sarah a baby. It will come from her, not from some other means, not from your disobedience and rebellion. This promised child will come from Sarah, your wife. And then the Lord changes her name. He says, no longer will she be Sarah, she will be Sarah. Now, they're actually, they both mean princess, uh, which is kind of weird, you know. A girl named Princess kind of has condition maybe. But, but, but I think she's named princess because from her comes these kings, like King Solomon, King David, and eventually King Jesus. And so she is princess, but God changes her name to indicate an important part of her life, an important day in her life, when the Lord had reassured to her specifically that she would have a child. You know, we kind of you—you you probably have nicknames, right? Uh, I'd love to hear them all. Uh, I'm sure you wouldn't like to tell them all to me, but I'd love to hear them all. And, and a lot of times, they're—they're—they're they're, they're related to something that happened in your life. Sometimes something embarrassing. Sometimes something you're proud of. But you have, you have nicknames, right? Yeah, we went on a men's retreat last year, and Tim Maylander was playing goalie, and he was amazing. And so we just called him Mayhem Maylander. And now every Sunday, when I come out I say, "Hey, Mayhem, how are you doing, buddy?" He goes, "Good, Pastor Dan. Good to see you." You know, even Native Americans, right? They they give these nicknames to their kids as they grow older, like you know, Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse and Dances with Wolves, right? They give these names to For people, their nicknames, they indicate something about that person, something that they've probably done. Well, in this passage, God gives Sarai the name Sarah, not because it's something that she would do, but because it's something that He would do for her, that He would give her a child. And so we see God's promise to Abraham for Sarah, that Sarah would bear a son. Now... How would would Abraham respond? How should Abraham respond? I love this. Verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. (laughs) He fell on his face and laughed. It wasn't praise. It wasn't you know worship. He fell on his face and laughed. I'm guessing that was not the response God wanted. Just an assumption. But you see, Abraham's skepticism is so evident. Abraham,
1: by his laugh, was
0: saying, God, you have to be kidding me. God, you are so out of touch with reality. You obviously know nothing about a human body, God. You know, when I was a teenager, I was a lot like Abraham. I still am many times. But I would look at my parents and I would say, you are so out of touch with reality. You have no idea what's going on. I remember when I was in junior high, I tried out for the basketball team. I didn't make it. So I was like, you know, I'm going to be the trainer for the team because I just want to play basketball some way, somehow. And they all had these shoes. And I was like, Mom, I have to get these shoes. And their basketball shoes probably $110 or something like that. Mom, I have to have these shoes. And her response, you don't have to have those shoes, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, Mom, you have no idea what you're doing. You are ruining my social life. I'm going to be a complete dork if I don't have these shoes. You are so out of touch with reality, Mom.
1: Right, And I constantly question
0: her wisdom on matters like that. Like she'd give me coupons to go out to eat with my kids. I'd be like, Mom, that's so dorky. I can't do that, Mom. It's so uncool, right? <laughs> but when I get to college, all of a sudden my mom's like a rocket scientist. She's brilliant. I'm like, yes, don't spend lots of money on shoes. They go bad. Take coupons. It's free money, right? All of a sudden, she becomes wise when you move out of the house. For Abraham, he's looking at God, and saying, "God, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're so unrealistic. You're so out of touch. Don't you know about my wife? Don't you know about me? I'm a hundred years old. She's ninety. A lot of kids aren't. Produ- a lot of a lot of people aren't producing kids at this age, God. And so, so, so uh, Abraham proposes Plan B." He says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He says, God, you're kind of out of touch reality. Your promises are too audacious. They're too spectacular. How about we just take this simple route? Let's take, let's take Ishmael. Let's, let's go through him. Let's make your covenant promises to be his God, to, to, to be God to his people, to love them forever. Let's take that through Ishmael so Abraham responds with this skepticism and the audacity to tell God what to do. And then God's response to Abraham's skepticism is something very beautiful. Look with me in verse 19 as God reassures Abraham. God said, No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. God tenderly encourages Abraham. We're not going your way, Abraham. We're going my way. And it's the better way. It's the best way. I will not take the easy route, Abraham. I will take the miraculous route. I will not take your sin and send my promise through that, but I will send it through a promised child that is miraculous. And this is such good news for us. As you look into the New Testament, you see this: that, that God sent His promised love through a promised child and not through a child of the flesh. A child of a sinful, adulterous relationship. Because we are children of promise by faith. And because the child of promise received God's covenant, we as children of promise receive it as well. Romans 9 put it this way. Many of you studied this in Bible study this week in women's and men's study.
1: It goes like this. Romans
0: 9, 7. Not all to skeptical, broken, bitter, angry, doubting children of His. His love that He comes alongside of us. He responds with grace always to His children. We see His response. Abraham's faith is spurred on. Look at verse 22 with me. It says, When He, God, had finished talking with Abraham, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham's initial response to God's promise was skepticism. And when God comes and reassures his promise, Abraham responds by faith and his faith takes action. And Abraham goes to circumcise his household. Now, if you're like me, you probably just read over this verse and say, yep, that's what God told him to do. Very good. Way to go. But can you imagine if you are his son, Ishmael, who's 13 years old, or if, if you are these, if you're these servants in his house, and this old, old man, 99 years old, probably a little bit senile, comes to you and says, I talked to God, and we have something to do. Right? What would be their response? They'd be like, are you sure? Are you positive that you met with God? Are you positive this is what God wants you to do? Because it sounds a little, right? It, it doesn't sound right. And yet Abraham, at 99 years old, who's never been to medical school, proceeds to circumcise all the men of his house. That, I, I mean, the reason I'm, I'm making this point is that it was not easy for Abraham to continue in faith. He had to face skepticism, doubt. He had to go through personal pain and suffering. The the healing time for this was, was a very long time for adults. But he followed God by faith even in the midst of pain and suffering to himself. I think there's an important principle for us here today that you know what? Sometimes when we follow God's calling in our life, it will cause suffering. It will cause pain. It will come at great cost to ourselves. This, this past two days, uh, the leadership of Jacob's well took a vision retreat. Re- restoration, vision, things like that. And Friday night Bill Acker led us in a devotional about what it means to be an elder in the church because we're training men to be elders. And as he's going through this devotional, the thought that was in my head is why in the world would the guys do this? Why would they sign up for this?
1: They sacrifice
0: sleep. I don't know if you know this. every Monday morning they wake up about 5 a.m., We meet from 6 to 7.30 to to, to follow the Holy Spirit and leading God's church. They give away money to help people in the church that need it. They give time, certainly, to love folks. They give their talents. And the question is, why would men like this sacrifice so much to follow God's calling in their life? Is it because they want prestige? I hope not.
1: Is it because they get paid a
0: lot? Certainly not. Why would they do it? Is it because they have perfect faith? No. It's because of the reassuring promises of God that He will be their God, that He is spreading His redemption throughout Green Bay, and that they get to be a part of that glorious redemption. And so they're able to sacrifice to to follow God's calling in your life. What is an area in your life that maybe God is calling you to that would cause you a little bit of pain? You you probably know what it is. You you push it out of your mind because you don't want to go there. Maybe it's, maybe it's going to help your elderly neighbors and give up a night. Maybe it's sponsor a, a child and give up cable. I, I don't know what it is for you. I'm not trying to assume what it is. But sometimes following God many times comes at cost to us. But it is a great joy because the promises of God are true. Jesus puts it this way, Matthew 10.38, He says, Whoever does not take his cross and follow Me is not worthy of Me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. He's making this promise that although following Jesus means you have to pick up a cross, although it means it will cause you personal pain, possibly humiliation like Abraham as you share your faith, He says, even though that is true, there is a promise that as you lose your life, you will find a life that you never knew existed. And it is glorious. And so we see God encounters Abraham. He gives his promise. Abraham responds with skepticism, and the Lord doesn't zap in debt. He reassures him of his promise, and then Abraham responds by faith. In the beginning of chapter 8, we see uh, these three men come along, and Abraham sees them and invites them and shows hospitality to them. Abraham probably doesn't know exactly who they are, but we know as the readers that one of them is probably the Lord, Jesus himself, and the other two are angels that will go on and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But but they come and Abraham shows them hospitality. And we see Sarah herself now encounters the Lord. And we won't spend as much time on this, but you see the same cycle. You see God's promise. Look in 18 Verse 9, it says, uh, They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. So they're making it evident they came to encounter Sarah, to tell something to Sarah face-to-face, not through her husband, but directly. Verse 10, The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening, at the tent door behind him. And so there was a thin sheet behind him, and he's probably using his preacher voice saying, Sarah will have a baby, right? And she can hear him right behind. That was the custom of the day. They would eat in separate quarters. But we see the Lord comes to talk to Sarah personally. You know, I love hearing people's testimonies because they're all like snowflakes. No one is alike. And yet they're all glorious. I've heard of people coming to faith in Christ while hanging out clothes, while showering, while riding on a bus. I mean, in, in so many different places. I've heard of people trusting in Christ in an instantaneous moment or happening over a large uh, range of time. And you see the Lord coming to Abraham and Sarah in very different and unique ways. Abraham, you know, there's the, the smoking fire pot, and, and there's the, the, the audible, loud voice and then God ascends. With Sarah, he comes with sore feet In a hungry stomach. And what's so amazing is to hear how the Lord comes to us all uniquely. But the thing is that all of us need to encounter the Lord personally. Sarah couldn't encounter the Lord through Abraham. You can't encounter the Lord through your spouse, through your parents. You have to encounter Him yourself. Have you encountered the Lord yourself? Or is it your wife's faith or your husband's faith or your parents' faith? So God comes to encounter us each individually. And then we see Sarah respond with skepticism. Verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah was old, advanced in the years. The way of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So this, this, this verse is just overstating. Uh, they're old. Uh, they're very old. They're very, very old. And they're so old that she's postmenopausal. She can't have babies. She's done with. Okay? Verse 12, so Sarah laughed, similar to Abraham, to herself, saying, Am I worn out? Literally, I'm I'm decaying. I'm worthless. And my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? Sarah's laugh was a laugh of skepticism, probably a lot of hurt and bitterness. Can the Lord really do this? And then we see God... Being consistent with his character as he was with Abraham, reassuring Sarah. Verse 14 Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, and about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What a great statement. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is your hurting, broken heart that needs redemption? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is your your father or your mother who you want to trust in Christ rebelling against the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The addiction, the sin in your life that you cannot break free from, is anything too hard for the Lord? And Sarah finds out the answer is no. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. And then we see Sarah's faith. And we don't see here in this passage, but in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since so she was considered and faithful who had promise. God's grace, reassuring grace, is irresistible. I love this passage because what we learn is that God's promises are not contingent on me having enough faith. It's not Is my faith great? Is, is it unwavering? Is it unskeptical? No, God's promises are true even when our faith is weak.
1: And that is such a
0: great promise to us. Let me end with a long ending. Just to warn you. Um, God gives this audacious claim to Abraham and Sarah, right? That, that Sarah, who's 90 years old, postmenopausal, Abraham, who's a 100-year-old, they're going to have a baby within the year, okay? So she will conceive fairly quickly. Abraham responds by falling on his face and laughing at God, right? Sarah does a little better. She doesn't fall on his, her face, but she laughs at God as well, Right? But the story, it doesn't end there. Have you heard the phrase, he who laughs, laughs? He who laughs, laughs, laughs. What's the word? Have you heard this? Who, who, he who laughs, laughs. Well, that's hard to say. He who laughs, last laughs, laughs. What is it? Last? Loudest, yes. Loudest. Some say loudest, some say longest. So I just want to hear what your opinion was. But he who laughs, last laughs, laughs loudest or longest, right? Who has the last laugh in this passage? Well, we see really two people together have it. First is God. What did God tell Sarah and Abraham to name their child? Isaac. Anyone know what Isaac means? He laughs, right? (laughs) I love the humor of God. He's like, you're going to laugh at me? All right, let's see who's laughing, right? right. We'll see who's laughing. Name him Isaac. He laughs. Let it be a reminder to you. But along with God, his children laugh. Sarah laughs. Genesis 21, 5-7, as we fast forward a few chapters, it says this. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Once again, Sarah laughed, but this was a completely different laugh. This wasn't a laugh of skepticism and pain and doubt. This was a laugh of wonder. You see, back in the passage in verse 14, when he says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? That word hard is actually a very pregnant phrase. And it has lots of meanings throughout the scriptures. It's quoted time and time again in the Psalms. And it means things like, is anything too impossible, too special? Is anything too extraordinary for the Lord? Is anything too marvelous? And, and the, the most frequent use of this Hebrew word, which I love, is anything too wondrous for the Lord. Is anything too wondrous for the Lord? You know, as, as you grow up, you lose the sense of wonder, don't you? You've already seen fireworks as a kid. Yeah, they're, they're, they're big. So what? anymore, right? But for a kid whoa, you know, is, is that how God makes clouds? Cool, you know? You've, you've ridden in an airplane, it becomes ordinary, now it's not, you know, a kid, oh, awesome, look at all the clouds from fireworks, right? We lose the sense of wonder, but there's one time that I think adults across the board wander, and it's when they hold their newborn child, and they study his or her face, eyes, nose, mouth, like everything's there. it's amazing, right? Their fingers and the wonder of them wrapping their hand around your panky finger. it is a glorious moment of wonder. And Sarah experienced this wonder that God did. It's anything too wondrous for the Lord God brought Sarah a child. For us, our salvation, Our wander doesn't come through an old barren woman who's married to a man. It comes through a young virgin woman named Mary, who the Lord comes to and displays His power by conceiving a child within her and raising Him up. And then the most wondrous thing of all is that He takes on our skepticism. He takes on our doubt. He takes on our sin at the cross and pays for it in full that we could once again laugh. Christians should laugh like nobody else, not in skepticism, but in pure, unadulterated joy as we marvel and wonder at the love of God for us, that He would send His Son to die for me, that He is jealous for me, that He delights in me, that He is glorified by me. Are you kidding? And so God restores laughter to us. Not one of skepticism, but one of great joy and wonder. Let's pray. Glorious God, we thank you for laughter. Not not the little laughter, we thank you for that too, but the laughter in which we are just overwhelmed with delight that a holy and perfect and glorious God would love someone like us. It would display that at the cross, Lord. God, we pray that you would help us to laugh in amazement, Lord. Help us not to become common or complacent to Your love for us. Let it continue to be amazing. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.